Welcome, my friends, to the Tomb of Ideas, a Marvel Horror Podcast. I am the Tomb's proprietor, Headstone P. Gravely, and here I are two captive hosts, Shrey Lawson and James Hickson. Welcome, Tomb Believers, to the Tomb of Ideas, a Marvel Horror Podcast. I am one of your humble hosts, James Hickson. And I'm Trey Lawson. And we've got a great selection for you this episode. We are looking at an issue of Marvel Team Up, specifically number 24, featuring, of course, Spider-Man and Brother Voodoo. Yeah. Always nice when we get a Spidey book. We don't get many of those. Yeah, and you know, I'm glad to see that the Brother Voodoo story isn't over yet. Right, right. That, that it, even though his solo feature has ended between the magazines and the team-up books and crossovers, that, that, that they, they've not given up on the character. Yeah, I kind of wish it was a better outing, but more on that later. Sure. Also, we're looking at Monsters Unleashed number 7. This is one of our Mighty Marvel magazines. Right, uh, and, and uh, just so so we're clear, uh, we are just going to be talking about the two stories featuring characters that we talk about from other books. Right. So I think there's a Frankenstein story and there's a werewolf story. Exactly. And first, but first, we're going to take a quick detour into this segment you know, you love, it is of course... Hellstrom Watch. Okay. Uh, it's kind of a light week for Hellstrom Watch, which is weird because it feels like it's been a minute since we've done one of these. Uh, it, but, it's been a while. Like, Yeah. I, um, I guess first we can start with sort of the, the lighter, sort of rumory kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, apparently, uh, if... if we can extrapolate from Evangeline Lilly's Twitter, or is it her Instagram? One of her social media accounts. Yeah. Um, looks like Instagram. And it has since been deleted, which suggests that it maybe contained something that wasn't supposed to be there. Um, she shared a picture of uh, just the copyright page of her script for Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania. Uh, so just sort of an excited, yay, filming, uh, like, production's about to start kind of thing. It's got, um, you know, it's, it's got to be a relief to get back to work after this yeah, year. Yeah, like, um, and, and so she shared this picture of her uh, with her script, and uh, she tagged what appear to be her co-stars in the movie. And, you know, so you've... And, and also the director. So Peyton Reed is tagged... Uh, You've also got uh, Michelle Pfeiffer tagged, Michael Douglas tagged, Paul Rudd tagged, and then Corey Stoll is tagged. Okay. Now, Corey Stoll played Darren Cross, a.k.a. the Yellow Jacket, in the very first Ant-Man movie. Yes. And is presumed dead. Yes. So, his suit is compromised at the end of that movie. Mm Mm-hmm. And and it what appears to happen is that he shrinks to death. However, uh, a few years ago, Peyton Reed, the director, suggested 
that sure it, it does kind of look like he dies, but you know, if he was if his suit was compromised, he was shrinking uncontrollably. He could have just ended up somewhere in the quantum realm. Yep, that's definitely a possibility. So, so it is possible that in addition to Kang the Conqueror, we might be seeing a returning villain in Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania. Like he's like a minion of Kang or something. Right, right. Uh, or, or, you know, has, has somehow, through his travels in the quantum realm, fallen uh, in line with Kang. Well, that's interesting. So, yeah. So, so that's, again, not confirmed. But the fact that the post was quickly deleted suggests that there was something there we weren't supposed to see. Yeah. <laughs> um, so there's that. Um, also, Hulu's MODOK has launched. And I've not watched it yet, but you have. Which... I've watched the first episode or so, yeah. I guess you watched it while I was sleeping? Yeah, I mean, that happens. I mean, I preferred you watching me sleep. I'm glad you stopped doing that. <laughs> but, uh, but you know, it's fun. It's it's good. The The cast is very good. Uh, Patton Oswalt is pretty much perfect as MODOK. Um, Melissa Fumero from Brooklyn Nine-Nine plays his daughter. Okay. Um, and I'm trying to think... Uh, the super adaptoid is kind of funny. He doesn't get a lot to do, but he's kind of funny. Um, a, a big plot point of what I've seen so far is that uh, Modok has effectively bankrupted AIM, Duh. and so and so they've been absorbed by a West Coast tech startup. Okay. So they get a lot of mileage out of that. Gotcha. All right, so a bit, a bit, a bit of like maybe Venture Brothers meets sort Silicon of Venture, Valley, sort of Venture Brothersy, sort of Silicon Valley, a little bit of Rick and Morty, um, particularly in the way that Modok mistreats his aim underlings. Okay, um, and, and and just the the sort of. Uh, Dissonance of supervillain Modok also having like a family life in the suburbs. Mm-hmm. Um. So yeah, it's fine. I, I'm <clears throat> I like it enough to keep watching. Yeah, I've, I've I don't, heard good I, things. I don't know that there will be a second season because you know it's not made by Marvel Studios. <laughs> yeah, I mean it's getting good press. It's getting good press. Good, good press it reviews. Is. And yeah. it's also it's also very much like TVMA. Yeah. Like it is not a it is not a show that would fit on Disney Plus. No, and I, I, although it, it, I think they're being clear that you know it's not MCU continuity though, right? Right, right. <clears throat> I mean, so like uh, when Shield agents show up, mm-hmm. they are wearing like the Starenko blue Shield agent uniforms from classic comics. Nice, nice white gloves and all fun stuff. Yeah. Right, right. Uh, I mean, I, I definitely do plan on checking out, checking it out. I support anything that TV's son of TV's Frank is in. Uh, but uh, and I've heard good things about the uh, the the comic book miniseries that Patton Oswalt is co-writing, which is 
sort of loosely tied in. Like, it's not in continuity with the show. It is in main Marvel continuity. Mm. But because Patton Oswalt is writing it, it's sort of, like, it is very much a, you buy the comic, and it says, make sure to watch on Hulu. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we know we know Patton Oswalt is a nerd. I mean, we've all seen that Parks and Rec clip. Most definitely. So... It's definitely worth a look at. Yeah, yeah. Um, in addition to that, we've also got a couple, well, I say, yeah, a couple of new trailers that have dropped since we last recorded. Ooh, I only know of one. I don't know what the second one is. <laughs> yes, you do. I don't. No, I don't. Okay, I don't. well, so the one you know is The Eternals. Yeah, the Eternals dropped just this morning. Uh, you, when, when, we record, when we recorded this, but right, yeah, right. Uh, <laughs> um, I mean, it's a trailer, so it's deliberately vague. You yes. know, we we don't get a we don't get a great sense of who these characters are, which is a really interesting approach to a property where nobody knows who these characters are. Like, no, no. I, de- I defy you. Un- like, even if you are a hardcore Marvel fan, I defy you to name, like, by name, more than two Eternals. Cersei. Right. Uh, Icarus is Icar- another one. The, okay, yeah, fine. I knew if I just started pulling names out of Greek and Roman mythology that I would get right. one occasionally. Um but Icarus is confusing because Icarus's real name is Daedalus, <sighs> and then he took the name Icarus in tribute to his son who died because he is the origin of the myth. Yeah, and there is a one of them was in the Marvel Lost Generation series that you guys refused to believe actually happened, but definitely was actual series in like the late early two thousands. If you say so. I, it, it existed. It existed. <laughs> John Byrne drew it. it. It was a thing. But I can't remember the character's name, so it doesn't give away this my case. But, but he was he was like Captain Mercury or something, right? And of course, it was revealed later he was the Eternal. Which yeah. So so and so what the movie does is it sets up in very broad strokes. Uh, the idea of the Chariots of the Gods style origin story. You know, like we, we get the shot of like the spaceship arriving uh, over the sort of like um, very early development human civilization. Mm-hmm. Um, it's very pretty. You know, like like the the visuals are, like the cinematography is very well done. It's, uh, I mean, lots of people are joking about this. It does look sort of like something out of a Terrence Malick movie. Very clearly, this is the director who did Nomadland because it also has these big, wide-angle landscape shots that are just gorgeous. Uh, Makari, Makari was Major Mercury in Generation Lost. <laughs> I believe you. No, you don't. You don't look at me like you're believing me. <laughs> you look at me like I, I believe that you believe that this is true. I believe I hate you. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, uh, 
So, so these are none of these are characters that I have any frame of reference for, which no. again is fine. That's that's not a prerequisite to enjoying something. It's just an interesting approach that the first teaser doesn't try to introduce us to any of these characters. What I find, inter- what I find interesting is that somebody pointed out that the whole chariots of fire idea is inherently racist. Oh, it, it, almost, yeah, right. entirely. They're right. They're absolutely right. The idea that. Um, non-white civilizations could not have possibly built these things because because it's an explanation for the creation of wonders of the world in non-European parts of the world. Yes, no one says. Well, you know, ET came and helped them build the Colosseum. Right, right. Because like, so every now and then Stonehenge gets roped into it, but even that is a little bit iffy because like. The, the sort of particular people involved in that are... I don't know, it, it gets weird. but So occasionally Stonehenge gets roped in, but generally speaking, when people refer to the Chariots of the Gods stuff, what they're talking about is non-white indigenous populations. Uh, and it's a little bit racist. Yeah, or there are a guy on the History Channel crazy here, but, you know. Right. Um, which, and I, I do think that that could be there is an attempt to if not directly counter that at least mitigate it by having the Eternals themselves be such a diverse group of people yeah they're they're intentionally casting people of color right the the, the Eternals are not all blonde hair blue eyed like Jack Kirby Superman yeah which they which they, they, they were a bit when Kirby created them. But Which, and, and so were the new gods, you know? Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. So were the Asgardians. Yeah. And that feels weird to say, because Jack Kirby, as a Jewish creator, was probably very, like, aware of that stereotype. Yeah, Probably. So, but at the same time, he was just fascinated by the ancient astronaut's idea. Right, right. I mean, it's obvious in his work that when he got creative control of himself, he kept like, using it again and again. Right. Well, and even, like, the one big licensed work he did was 2001 A Space Odyssey. Oh, yeah. Like, that was the one licensed comic he is famous for having done. And it... And even there, it's a little bit less racist because you get the idea that aliens started all of human evolution, right? right. Which is because a- that—that's that, really the the smartest thing about two thousand one is that they come that they influence pre-human civilization, like pre-civilization. Yep. Arthur C. Clarke, you were yep good stuff. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so Eternals, great visuals. Not a whole lot of indication of story, which again, it's a teaser, so that's okay. Yeah, I'm I, sure I, they're. I'm sure they will reveal more as we go along. I mean, most of what I get from it is ooh, looks pretty. I have no idea what's going on here. Right. Or or oh, I like that guy. I wonder what he's doing in this. Yeah. Or yeah. I like her. I've seen her in things. Like yeah. you know. <laughs> uh, one person said that the vibe reminded them a little bit of uh, Disney's John Carter, which I can kind of see. Mm-hmm. Um, if if they come anywhere close to 
something that good, I will be happy. Yes, we are unapologetic John Carter apologists on this show. Yes. Not yes. the whole Confederacy thing. That's a whole different issue. But the right. actual Disney film, John Carter, right. we both adore. Fact, Which also handles the Confederacy thing about as well as an adaptation could, without yeah. outright ditching it. Yeah. Yeah, it does. I mean, we, we you and I saw John Carter together in theaters. Yep. Really yep. shitty theaters, I remember. It was that that sort of rundown. Uh, was it a Regal or was it a AMC? Was it Dutch Square? I don't remember. It, it might have been. I, I forget what. Uh, Carmike. It, it, now it's an AMC because AMC bought them. But I think it was the Carmike out on like Forest Drive or something. It might have been. This will mean nothing to anybody not from right, the... Right, no, yeah, totally. We are, we are getting into very specific, like, like South Carolina things here. <laughs> yeah, we have, like, one or two listeners who live in the Columbia area who know exactly right. what we're talking about. Uh, who, who are going, yes, I have been there, and it does suck. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, you know, you know it was a really bad theater. Um, the, the one over on Two Notch that then became a funeral home and then became a storage facility. Oh my. You know the one I'm talking about. I, I do, yeah. I don't remember what it was called, but I remember that, that theater being there. Because it was because it, it was a theater, and then it was a funeral home, and then it promised it was going to be a theater again. It was like, we're, we're making a theater again, which kind of creepy because it was just a funeral home. But uh, then, <laughs> then like that sign was there for years, then boom, it's a storage, storage facility. Uh the theater my parents used to go to, they had to they had to find a different favorite theater because the theater they had been going to became fully infested with bed bugs. Wow, that's not good. No, 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 very bad. That yeah, all that upholstery. <laughs> wow, did it ever recover? I don't know. I, I I as far as I know, they never went back to find out. Hmm. Hmm. So this um, is what we get for the Eternals trailer, guys. Bed bugs right, and uh, right. funeral I mean, homes. So I, I am curious to see the movie. I still refuse to read any of the comics, but I'm curious to see the movie. I, I, I have the strong suspicion if I tried to read Eternal comics, um, it would suffer the same fate as in human comics with me. I, so yes, because I will tell you this for a fact. I have tried to read the Neil Gaiman miniseries collected. I did like, read it three times. Oh, you did? I did read it. I don't remember that anything. That is impressive. I don't remember I, anything I, except for I, I really don't like John Romita artwork anymore. On three separate occasions, I tried to read that Eternals miniseries because by all accounts, it's good. Mm-hmm. Every single time I tried, I fell asleep. Well, yes, yeah, same problem I have with Inhumans artwork. Inhumans right. yes. comics. I literally fall asleep any time mm-hmm. I read an Inhumans comic. Yep. Yep. It's amazing. Yep, and that is not a slight on Neil Gaiman. I like lots of other things he has written. Not a slight on Jack just, Kirby. I, I love I lots just, of Jack Kirby stuff. I just don't find those characters, as they exist in the comics, to be compelling. Mm-hmm. Which, again, is okay. There are plenty of things I like in the MCU that in comics are not very compelling. I will admit, I never watched the Inhumans TV show. Me either. I refused. Yeah. It looked real bad. It looked real bad. Um, and they released that pilot to IMAX. You remember that? They put the first episode in IMAX. 
And what, from what I understand, the effects were not IMAX worthy. No, 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 no. So, <laughs> moving on to our mostly question marks and, and uncertainty about what Eternals is going to be. There is one more item on the list, one other trailer that dropped recently that we've yet to talk about. Oh, really? Yeah. It is for a, a movie that's not directly in the MCU, but it's 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 in the ballpark of Ooh. characters that are associated with the MCU. Ooh, this is interesting and exciting. And, I really and, and that's gonna be Ooh. Venom 2. Let there be carnage. No. 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 Have you actually watched the trailer? Oh, no, I have not. You, you should watch the trailer. Um, I, I will say this. I have not seen the first Venom movie. We have joked many times about how, how we do not want to watch the first Venom movie. The trailer for Venom 2 retroactively makes me want to watch Venom. Wow. Wow. Uh, by the way, folks, if you would like us to watch the Venom movie, um, you can always go ahead and support Cinepunks on Patreon. And <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> and just, just, just put a note in there, I'm here for the Venom coverage. And we, we, we should talk to them about making that like an official tier or something. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then Liam will come bust our door down and be like, hey, record it. <laughs> symbiote sponsor or something force us to watch Venom because that's the only right. way we're watching it <laughs> <laughs> but yeah Venom let there be carnage no I will not there will not be uh, carnage it, it looks fun <sighs> no there's a whole like, like the opening of the trailer is like Eddie Brock trying to make breakfast and the symbiote helping. But wouldn't they be eating brains? The symbiote knows that Eddie doesn't like brains. But the symbiote likes brains. Well, right. Right. But he gets those later. I mean, if you think about it, there's not that much difference between scrambled eggs and brains. Well, I mean, so we are from the South. Like, uh -huh. brains are, are an appropriate dish. Mm -hmm. like, like eggs and brains, that's a thing. Oh, yeah. Bingo, you want to get breakfast out of this? <laughs> oh, wait. Traps in two. Got it. Forgot! You know, it's just, yeah. 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 Shame I could yeah. offer some liver pudding. I'm more of a liver mush guy. I like liver. Put liver pudding and grits. Like the grits on top, liver pudding. That, that, so, the, the different liver mush, and again, we're getting super regionally specific here. Mm -hmm. Liver mush is specifically an eastern North Carolina thing. Mm -hmm. um, it's similar in flavor to liver pudding, mm -hmm. but it actually retains its shape. You know, liver pudding, when you cook it, it like becomes goopy. Mm -hmm. Like it softens. Liver yeah. mush is more of a loaf. Like it's, it keeps its shape. Okay. And so, you, like, like liver mush, you can fry it and make a sandwich out of it. I don't know if I like liver pudding that much. There is only one situation where I eat liver, and that is liver pudding. Mm. And that's because of childhood nostalgia. I also like chicken livers fried. You and my wife, my wife, livers just, and gizzards. Yeah, my life, my wife loves lizards and livers and gizzards, and I'm just like, no, I'm good. If I want fried chicken, I will take it in tender form. Thank you. 
But anyway, um, yeah, so there is a Venom trailer. Um, as you can see, we're a little bit divided on whether it is worth even watching or not. <laughs> they are leaning hard into the campiness of it. Like like I said, I will watch Venom if enough people pay money to demand I do so. <laughs> uh, otherwise... So- I will stay in my nice little MCU bubble. Thank you. And uh, just for the record, that is patreon.com slash cinepunks. Yeah. I'm glad you you looked that up. um, Can you leave a note when you back somebody on Patreon? I don't know. So so they have have some tiers. Uh Uh-huh. None of which have anything to do with our show. We should probably talk to them about that. What? Ridiculous. Uh, also, because with Patreon, you know, it's like a per month thing, like a recurring thing. Also, if we did a commentary of Venom, would it be visual commentary or audio I only? I don't know. Like, do we want to just release a whole video to patrons of us just watching a movie? Yeah, I feel like that would get a little like like a feature length reaction video might be not great. No, no. Um, I mean, I'm not great to look at in the first place, as evidenced by our Morbius reaction video, but... Um, uh, I mean, we're willing to put a sheet over me. Yeah, no, I think I think probably audio would be the... Especially because with audio, like, you can download it and sync it up to the movie or whatever. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Easier to pause. And even, though it, even though it's not actually streaming anywhere right now, I checked. Really? Yeah. Huh. Like, you can rent or purchase it, but it's not actually on any... Trust me, I have, like, ten streaming services. It is not on any of them right now. <laughs> you let, you let me use, like, three streaming services. <laughs> You're not... Okay, we need to talk about password sharing and good roommate, being good roommates, because this is just insulting. I, I've been hoarding the, the criterion for myself. Oh, I hate you so much. I've been having you use watch TCM. Come on, man. All right. Well, speaking of classics, we're go- we're gonna go ahead take go ahead and take a quick break and return with our coverage of Monsters Unleashed number seven. Right after these messages. Hi, I'm John Wilson, and I'm Michael Kaiser. And we're the hosts of the podcast, Make Ours Marvel. You know, here we are in 2018, 10 years into the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Yeah, can you believe we live in a world where everyone's old Aunt Petunia knows who Iron Man is? It's crazy, right? So, to celebrate, we're on our mission to explore the roots of the Marvel Universe. You know you've thought about it. Some of you may have even done it. And now we're going to do it too. We're diving back into the long boxes of Marvel's history and podcasting our way through the whole universe. All of it. Every superhero issue. And, if I can convince Mike, we'll even do Sergeant Fury. And it's not going to be one issue per episode. That'd take forever. (laughs) It's still going to take forever. But no, we're going to talk about as many comics as we can in an hour. Yep, an hour and, you know, maybe a little change. Every week, Marvel Comics. So it'd be super cool if you came along for the ride. Look for us every Friday at MakeOursMarvel.com. That's MakeOursMarvel.com. 
or on iTunes and all the other usual podcasty places. And if you want to read along with us and send us your thoughts, we might even read emails. So until Avengers Infinity War gets a spin-off Warlock and the Infinity Watch TV show, make ours Marvel. Join me, the son of Sven Gui, this Saturday night at 8 o'clock for Frankenstein Meets the Wolfman. Let's take a look at it right now. Here's a scene in which Frankenstein has just won a date with Rula Lenska on the dating game, and the Wolfman is really angry about that. Oh. Kiss me, you fool. No, no, later. Well, we hope you always get the date you want, and you'll get it this Saturday night at 8 o'clock. Frankenstein meets the Wolfman along with me, your date for the evening, the son of Sven Gulli. What do you think of that, huh? Kiss me, you fool. Welcome back, Tomb Believers. Our first book for today is Monsters Unleashed number 7. Cover date is August 1974. The cover artist is Richard Hescox, and the editor-in-chief is Len Wein. Uh, our first story in this mag is Frankenstein 1974, A Tale of Two Monsters. The writer is Doug Minch, the artist is Val Merrick, inker is Val Merrick, and the letterer is Charlotte Jetter, the editor is Tony Isabella. Frankenstein's monster, still unable to speak, sits across from the trapeze artist, now trapped in a grotesque body due to the experiments of Dr. Wallach. Despite everything, he has come to realize that the monster did not intentionally cause the death of Gretchen, the circus performer who died so many months ago in this book. He then begins to tell the monster his story. He grew up very poor, and was often taunted and bullied by the other children because of this. His father died of pneumonia, which could have been prevented if they could have afforded a doctor or even proper heating in their home. His mother worked in a factory, and he helped by delivering papers every morning before school. As he got older, he was able to get a job loading trucks, which helped him become stronger, but poor grades and attendance led to his expulsion. Soon after, his mother died, and so, in search of an escape, he joined the circus. Initially, his job was to clean animal cages, but at night, he practiced on the trapeze, until he finally convinced the owner to let him become an aerialist. Gretchen was assigned to teach him the routine, and they grew closer eventually falling in love and getting married. And now, in the present, Gretchen is dead, and the tra trapeze artist, who so prized his physical prowess, is weak and disfigured. The man's story moves the monster to tears. And all of this is secretly observed by the hunchback Bruno, who reports back to his master. The master plans to use a voodoo doll to bring the trapeze artist, and along with him, Frankenstein's monster, to his lair. Sure enough, the trapeze artist is suddenly compelled to leave the lab. He beckons the monster to follow him. All the while, their progress through the streets is secretly observed by various grotesque people, all presumably serving the same master. They finally arrive at an old mansion and enter. One of the grotesque servants slams the door, snapping the trapeze artist out of his trance. The master then crushes the voodoo doll, killing the trapeze artist instantly. A trapdoor opens, and the monster falls into the room below, suddenly face to face with the hideous master. The master approves. The master is displeased with this story. Yeah. For one thing, the the majority of the story, uh, the flashback to the guy's childhood, is completely irrelevant. So, it's 
it's this thing that I've noticed the magazines do sometime, which is they will spend most of a segment doing nothing but generating sympathy and connection with a character only to immediately kill them off. Yes. And it feels very cheap. Yes. It feels extremely cheap. There is no reason for us to need all this backstory on the character because he dies a couple of pages later and as far as effect on the main character, it's minuscule. Right, because there's no way that the Frankenstein's monster could know that the master has killed this guy because it's it's such an abstract method of execution. Mm-hmm. Except uh, also also this version of voodoo does not entirely seem to line up with the voodoo that we've seen in Tales of the Zombie. No, or in Brother Voodoo. And I feel like if it is acknowledged, it'll be like the monster instinctively feels that he is the cause. And we'll get right. it in, like, narration. Or, or the master will say something that gives it away. Still, it's just like, eh. And, okay, let's look at the flashback itself. First off, yeah. Val Myrick draws weird-looking kids. Yes, the kids are weird. I like the art overall in this segment, but the kids look weird. The, the kid, Val Myrick very much does the, let's draw adult bodies with large heads on them. Model, model of drawing children. Basically, they, they look like... They look like small grown-ups. Yes. Yes. Really built small grown-ups. <laughs> yeah, like, that's the thing. Uh, when 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 the kid is like, uh, like I got a job loading a truck and, and got stronger. It's like, you were already, like, a little bit ripped for a kid. <laughs> like... <laughs> you know, we, we have... Like, what, what did those newspapers weigh? I, I think our problem is we haven't been putting the right inflection on the um, character's narration here. Um, <laughs> you, you guys think you're big stuff just because your father's got money. Well, you ain't big stuff. <laughs> See, that, 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 that makes it so much richer. It makes more sense now. <laughs> the, uh, yes. Acceptable. Yes. <laughs> it's just... Uh, I, I guess this is all just much ado about nothing, but, but partly because... When this story picks up, I had already forgotten most of what was going on in it before. Yes. Like, I, I, I had to look up my past summaries to, like, refresh my memory on, like, what had happened in the previous chapter. Right? Like, if you wanted to make this interesting, you could have had him help the Frankenstein monster once he reaches the master. You know, sa- right. r- sacrifice his life saving the Frankenstein monster. That is how you make right. all this exposition justified the way it is like I, I guess the, the voodoo thing is the part that feels out of place to me oh yeah the voodoo thing's weird I, I just get I guess voodoo's just hot at this point point. we'll yeah. talk about that when we talk about the yeah. team up story too where it, sure. it just seems like oh was there just a voodoo fad at the time <laughs> anyway and yeah but so as bad as the art on the kids are uh, the, the grotesque characters are really Cool. Oh yeah, he does grotesque well and, and creepy looking. He he does pretty ladies and, well. Yeah, just not kids. No, no, his kids look weird. Kids look weird. Um, but yeah, that's kind of all I've got. Except also, um, in the flashback, uh, every single person working in that education system is terrible. Oh yeah, all the teachers are terrible. For one thing, you don't just let a kid sleep in your class like that. You should at least attempt to wake them up. Now, right, and and, and probably. 
also pass them along to some sort of guidance counselor, social worker, or something. Oh, yeah. The, things like this story are why we have social workers in schools now. It's right. the, the negligence is going on both on the part of the parents and the social workers, and the school system here is ridiculous. Yep. And it's it just seems like, like when he gets expelled, it seems like no effort was made at all to determine, like, why he was absent from school so much. Yes, exactly. Like, it, no one asked him, hey, why are you absent so much? And he could be like, well, you know, I've, I've got to work to help support my family. Like, oh, wow. Okay, well, let me talk to your manager, see if we can give you some different hours. Or, okay, let's go ahead and see if we can put you in, like, a different a night school program or mm-hmm. something. Well, and, and, I mean, so also a bunch of this stuff would just not happen today because the nature of, like, school report cards and such is that, like, expulsion rates typically stay very low because that re- that reflects poorly on the school and affects funding. Mm-hmm. Like, yep. like, they would do everything they could to avoid expelling that student today. To the point of artificially inflated graduation rates to make the school look better. Sure. Sure. Well, because it affects funding. Yep. Yep. So, but yeah, but uh, you'll notice we've hardly talked about the Frankenstein monster in this, and that's because he's barely a character in his own story. No. The only... Which is a common... The one thing I remember from previous installments of Frankenstein 1974 is that very thing, that the Frankenstein monster is very rarely an important character in his own story. Yeah. I mean, the, the... He's significant in that the guy is used to bring him to the master, and then the guy dies. Right. So so this could be the signal of that changing, because now, like, it's all we have is the monster and the master. So, theoretically, in the next installment, the Frankenstein monster should play a bigger part. Or how, maybe the next installment is just the master explaining his backstory. Here is why I am here, and why you're, why you're brought you here, like, and then a fire. And then he, and then he will succumb to the Marvel magazine curse of having told his backstory. He will immediately die. Yes. Yep. 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 So that's that's Frankenstein seventy four. Anything else on this one before we move on? Um. No. Okay. Because we've got another story in this. We've just got one more. Um. We're we're not going to cover the the random non Marvel monster regular characters because there are some other stories in here they're i mean they're fine but they're not relevant to the characters that we are following on this show so we're just going to skip to madness under a midsummer moon which is the final installment in the werewolf by night prose story that we've been covering in this magazine it's written by jerry conway with art by pat broderick inks by klaus jansen um it's typeset so there's no letterer and it's edited by Tony Isabella. We begin where the previous installment ended. Bikers have taken over Jack's apartment building, with two nights of a full moon still remaining. Jack proposes a plan to get Clary out of the apartment. He will start a fight as a distraction, giving her an opportunity to run for the side exit. Clary Clary worries for Jack's safety, but before their conversation can continue, three bikers barge in and drop Jack's neighbor, Coker, in front of them with his clothes ripped to shreds and his skin covered in cuts. Clary's roommate Sam rushes over to help him, but Coker refuses to say what has happened to him. Sometime later, the bikers round everyone together and surround them, announcing their intention to beat everyone, starting with Jack and Coker. Two bikers lunge at Jack, and he fights back, briefly gaining the upper hand. 
until someone hits him from behind and he blacks out. Jack awakens on the beach with the biker he calls Baldy, who reveals that once he takes out Jack and the biker called Boxer takes out Coker, they'll also kill the rest of the people in the apartment building, leaving no witnesses. Baldy moves to strike, but the rising moon takes effect, and Jack's transformation begins. The werewolf attacks, but Baldy hits it with his chain and gives chase. Along the beach, the werewolf finds the body of Boxer, his throat ripped out by an animalistic creature, but Coker is nowhere to be seen. With that, the werewolf loses consciousness, and the last thing he hears is the drawn-out death scream of Baldy. Jack awakens the next morning, still on the beach, as his fellow residents approach, led by a battered and bruised Coker and accompanied by the police. Coker tells the cops it looks like a wild animal got to the bikers. It turns out that when Coker regained consciousness at dawn, he went straight to the police for help. The cops question his story, but can't disprove it, and so everyone just goes along with it. So, this story obviously takes place before the reveal of Coker as a werewolf, at least as far as... But had to... Yeah, like... But but had to be... That story had to be on the mind of Jerry Conway as he was writing this, right? Yes. Like, because like, the story only works if we as readers already know the truth. Yep, that's exactly it. It only works if we as the as reader already know the truth, which is fine. I'm not mad at yeah. that. I mean, it, I, I guess my problem with it is how uninvolved Jack is in the resolution of any of it. Mm-hmm. Like, like, I kind of expected a little bit more of the werewolf. Mm-hmm. But once he transforms, he basically ends up on the run and then loses consciousness. Yeah, it's not... The pacing is just weird. The pacing is weird. The pacing is weird. And the resolution is a bit too pat, and uh, things work out well in the end. Although, is this supposed to be the last story in this Werewolf by Night prose thing? Because there's the implication there that the third night is still to come. Right. I don't know. I mean, it's at least the end of the biker story. Okay. Um, Whether they continue doing prose installments featuring the character, they might. Um, I think they've done more than one featuring... Dracula at this point. Oh so. man, the blood bank one. Oh god. <laughs> oh. Um, but at, at the very least, it's the end of this like story of the bikers showing up and taking over the the complex. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I guess it's also it's funny. Like again, because we are meant to know the truth, and it is assumed that if you're reading this, you've already read the previous couple of issues of Werewolf by Night. Mm-hmm. Like the art gives away that there's another werewolf. Yes, like the final the final drawing um, on the last page of the story has two werewolves in it. Yep, yep. One of them with darker fur. So it's obvious that it's supposed to take place before Jack knows that there's another werewolf, but not before the reader knows. Right. Which is and, and presumably, I mean, so I guess what we're I don't know. Um, it's kind of I'm trying to remember back to previous issues of Werewolf by Night, but I thought the implication was that Coker had not gone full, like, animalistic werewolf Mm -hmm. in some time because his meditation practices allowed him to, like, prevent that. Mm -hmm. So here we have an instance where he does end up going full werewolf in a very violent way. I'm just not sure how that lines up with what we've seen in the comic. Well, of course, the implication here being that he is forced to go full werewolf because he's taken away from his apartment, 
where all his sure, meditation. So he's not able to meditate. Yeah. And, yeah. Yeah. It's just the implication is that's not happened to him in a while previously. So I'm not sure where it fits in the timeline, but I would put it close to, but before the reveal that he's a werewolf in the comic. Oh, shit. What? Um, so Werewolf by Night does not appear in Monsters Unleashed number eight. Okay. However, Man Thing does. I, I I knew that there was that they've been alternating characters. I think for a minute. And so does Headstone P. Gravely. Oh, it's a reprint, but yeah, it's a reprint. So I, we got to cover that. Yeah, yeah, like, right? uh, yeah, I mean, I feel like we're required to. <laughs> right, right. I right. feel like he would do very bad things to us if we didn't. Uh. <laughs> Man Thing, I think, continues in Monsters Unleashed for a while. Um, I mean, when I say for a while, it's not like there are that many issues left. But yeah. Um, although actually, we might. Oh, oh no! Actually, here's a weird thing. Um, so there's there's only eleven issues of Monsters Unleashed, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I thought we might we might actually not have to cover the final issue. Why? Is it all reprints? No. Um. The main story is Gabriel the Devil Hunter. Oh no, we're talking about Gabriel the Devil Hunter. Oh, are we? I thought I thought we agreed we were going to talk about Gabriel the Devil Hunter early on. I don't even know who that is. He's an exorcist. Although apparently, he's an exorcist ripoff. Okay, yeah, and it looks like he has connections to Act the Harkness later on. So, yep. Uh, but so, but that's sort of it for the the final issue, I think. Oh, the mm. rest are not characters that stand out to me. Like, there's no Man-Thing, there's no Frankenstein. Uh, the the second-to-last issue has Frankenstein's monster, and then the second story is uh, Tigra. And so... I think, do we agree to do Tigra? I think we said we were gonna at least give Tigra a shot. Tigra in her, see in her capacity as a horror character. Right, right. I mean, there, let's be honest, there, there, there are definitely some West Coast Avengers titles in our future. For right. various reasons. But there we go. <laughs> um, but yeah, so Monsters Unleashed, there is, it, it is not a book long for this world as far as our show goes. Because we're on issue seven. There's only like four issues left. Yep. And another thing, just sort of skimming through the uh, the back matter here. Um, of course, because it's a Marvel magazine, they spend some time hyping the other Marvel magazines. Um and uh, there is no way, no way at all, that the next Vampire Tales issue is as good as that full-page ad on page 30. Page 30. Hold on, I'm getting there. That is a good ad. Right? That, that's, that's a good ad. Yeah. But there's no way it's going to live up to that, right? Mm, uh, it, uh, no... But it's like, although if you want to talk about great ads, great ads in this magazine, well, we yeah. have to look at the ad on page nineteen. Oh yeah, the the subscription page. The subscription page is fantastic in this magazine. Uh, really, if is. you follow us on Twitter, I sent it out a couple days ago. Uh, the <laughs> we have cute like chibi. Actually, no. It's adult bodies with huge heads. <laughs> it is. It is. Of our beloved Marvel monsters. We've got um, Morbius. Well, not, not Morbius. We've got the 
Zombie, we've got Dracula, we've got uh, Satana, we've got Lilith, we've got Frankenstein, we've got the werewolf, we've got Conan 2. I'm not sure who the guy in the dinosaur is. Um, I'm wondering, I don't know. Um, could that, uh, hmm. It's not Kazar. It doesn't look like Kazar. He's too sci-fi looking to be He's Kazar. He's too sci-fi looking to be Kazar. Gabriel? Um, um, could he be, wouldn't be Gulliver Jones, because that's more of a, I don't know. Hold on. Although Gulliver Jones was in Monsters Unleashed and, and Creatures on the Loose, so possible. I don't know. I really... He, he looks like a pulpy sci-fi character, though. Yeah, he looks, you know? he looks very Flash Gordon-y, but I have no idea yeah. who he's supposed to be. Um, and his, his hair's not long enough to be Killraven. Nope. Just like... He's got a wolf on his... Looks like a wolf on his um, belt buckle. Right. I have no idea who he is. Listeners, yeah. if you know who this guy is, please tell us. Hold on, let's see. Um, maybe from the Planet of the Apes Marvel book? Maybe, although that was usually... My memory of what I've read of that one is fairly close to the style of the, the movies. He could be a backup guy in one of those, but... Yeah. Um, in any case, another thing that just stands out to me about this is the, the sort of cute Dracula is the most I've ever seen Marvel Dracula look like David Niven. <laughs> really? You think David Niven? I'm th- I was thinking more I Peter Laurie. A little bit, but the, like the elongated sort of face. Like, I don't know. It looks like older David Niven to me. Okay. If you say so, boss. Uh, but yeah, but that, that's a good page. That's a very good page. Yep. Um, there's not much in the letters column because it's Monsters Unleashed. <laughs> Yeah, I don't. I doubt anybody was reading much less writing in. Um, it's funny because uh, one person asks for more Steve Gerber black and white man thing stories in the magazine, mm-hmm. um, and the reply is, "We've dropped Man Thing from Monsters Unleashed since he's now appearing in both a regular monthly mag and the giant size mag, but then Man Thing is back in like the next issue." So you yeah, know. yeah, it's like. People can't get enough man thing. It's just how it is. Um. Anyway. Yeah, I, I, I'm running out of things to say about Monsters Unleashed. Yes. It's, it's just, it, 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 there but, were monsters, they were unleashed, and it was really kind of boring. <laughs> actually, the opposite happened. Like, Frankenstein's monster actually ends up getting taken captive. It is the opposite of being unleashed. Okay, but Jack Russell was unleashed. <laughs> Jack Russell gets unleashed. Thank and you. Then Immediately knocked unconscious. And and the next issue, Man-Thing gets unleashed. Right, right. Adult advisory. (laughs) Anyway, we're going to take a quick break, and we'll be right back with our coverage of Marvel Team-Up number 24, featuring Brother Voodoo, right after these messages. There are, in our world... Certain places that seem to draw on the strange. Tragic news on this, the first day of school in Chillhaven, as a local teen has been found dead, under what authorities are describing as mysterious circumstances. The unusual. So sleeping is difficult because I don't blink, so... Oh my god. The monstrous. (laughs) And then he vomits out his whole skeleton onto his desk. What? 
And when you were a hip young teen coming of age in one of these locations. So I'm like walking, trying to like subtly unzip my hair out of my backpack. <laughs> it doesn't matter if you are an aspiring scientific genius. What do they fluctuate, Zeke? The molecules? A burgeoning telekinetic. I think you have telekinetic powers. That's so specific for you to say right now. Um. <laughs> or a social media influencer. Can you please just take his shirt off because that's he's got lunch on his shirt. Your safety is not guaranteed. So that is a complete failure. <laughs> Shit, what happens to my car? <laughs> In these dangerous times at Chillhaven High. Chadway, the gentlemen and scholars of Omega Zeta Mu. We need a new pledge, and you need a place to live. That's true. What do you think of joining us? I think it'd be great. You're in? Get away from them now. He'll kill you if you stay. The Omegas look and act alive. <laughs> but they're not. What kind of guys you think we are? Marsh performed a ritual on you last night, an ancient form of voodoo. Now that you've been chosen, Marsh will turn you into one of the undead and use his power to control you. You're dead. We gotta get out of here. What's wrong? Marsh and, and the Omegas are not a fraternity. They're, they're some kind of weird voodoo cult. Retribution is inevitable. You're the last chosen to be sacrificed. Look at this. Well, Gage. You're in danger. Two hours, you'll be dead. Voodoo. Corey Feldman. Sarah Douglas. Jack Nance. You don't know what you're up against. Voodoo. Our next and last issue for this episode is Marvel Team Up number 24, Moondog is another name for murder. Cover date on this one is August 1974. Writer is Lynn Ween. Artist is Jim Mooney. Inker is Sal Trapani. Letterer is John Costanza. Colorist is Glennis Ween. Editor is Roy Thomas. The Amazing Spider-Man's good-natured vandalism of the Daily Bugle billboard is interrupted by a scream. The wall crawler follows the cry to find a woman being attacked by men wearing loincloths and with animal skulls in their heads. Sort of like that Pokemon Cubone? Spider-Man starts fighting the Boneheads and is quickly joined by Brother Voodoo. After the woman is wounded by a thrown knife and the Boneheads flee, at the hospital, Brother Voodoo explains to the wall crawler that he is on the trail of a Voodoo Hongan named Moondog the Malicious 
and has tracked him from New Orleans to New York. An interview with the recuperating girl reveals that she's an actress who was attacked by the Boneheads after auditioning for a new play based all around voodoo. Spider-Man and Brother Voodoo interrupt a performance of the play only to discover that it is a trap set for them with the entire audience being members of the cult. The two heroes are soon rendered unconscious and wake up about to be burned at the stake only to be saved when Brother Voodoo uses his powers to walk through the flames and Spider-Man creates a web cocoon to protect himself. While Spider-Man continues to fight off the cult members, Brother Voodoo goes after Moondog with the aid of a cult member possessed by the ghost of Brother Voodoo's brother, Daniel. After the two capture the villain, he seems to awaken from a trance, revealing that Moondog was not the man, but an evil Loa controlling him. So this is this is an interesting one. Yes. In that, on the one hand, it is nice to have more Brother Voodoo. Yes, it is very nice to have more mo- Brother Voodoo. And it's nice to have Brother Voodoo, like, existing in the Marvel Universe. Yes, it is. That's all I got. Yeah, it's not a good use. <laughs> it, it's not a good use of it. No, um, it's it's a weird story, and and I I, I was saying this to you before we recorded, but. I feel like at least our experience of reading Team Up for this podcast has been that Spider-Man is often a little bit out of character. Okay. I don't know. He he comes across a little bit meaner than he does in in other stories. Like like for example, I love some good old Spider-Man J Jonah Jameson antagonism, but the vandalism seems a bit much for Spidey. Yes. You are not helping your situation with with Jonah on that one, Spider. Like, that yeah. is in fact a criminal act. Like, yes, he's a menace. Obviously. Also, it's worth noting we get zero Peter Parker in this issue. Right. Right. Um, which I think the last team up we had, or one of the last team ups we had, there was at least some. Like there was a little bit. I, wasn't that the Ghost Rider issue where, like, it was? I think. So he was. It was just after the death of Gwen Stacy. So he was thinking Peter Parker thoughts. Yep. You know. Yep. But here it's just like Peter Parker. Who? Right. Right. And maybe that's what's missing here. Maybe that's what I feel is is off about these is that you don't get as much of the the Peter Parker time. Yes. It's kind of the way I feel about the whole story. It's like it's there's nothing about this that really lends itself to either Spider Man or Brother Voodoo. Like, yes, the plot right. has to do with voodoo, but the plot would have ended up the same way even if it, it wasn't Brother Voodoo and instead it was like, you know, I don't know, Squirrel Girl. Right. Like, I mean, even you, you, you turn the voodoo into generic black magic, mm-hmm. and it could be a Doctor Strange story. Yes. And let's talk about the voodoo here, because this is what I was referring to earlier. I was like, was voodoo just a huge trend at the time? Because yeah, yeah. apparently you can run a Broadway play off the back of, hey, there's voodoo in it. I mean, it's not unheard of. <laughs> so, I mean, famously, in at the height of the Depression, uh, Orson Welles directed a production of Macbeth that was sort of famously called the Voodoo Macbeth because he he did a he caught he did an entirely black cast. Yep. He re he refigured the story to be set in like the Caribbean. Yep. Um, the, the witches were portrayed as voodoo priestesses. Um, like, like the, the, there, there is sort of precedent for that sort of thing. It's just not clear 
Like, it, it's not clear what they're doing here, what this audience is here for. And it turns out it's not even really an audience. Like, I guess that's the thing, is it? You, you can't actually do a show that's entirely voodoo-based because all the people they let in were already members of the cult. Yes. It's, it's like those people who put their book on the bestseller list by buying them to give out at fundraisers. <laughs> right, right. Excuse me. Uh, <clears throat> or, or the, I mean, the L. Ron Hubbard thing, right? Like, Battlefield Earth was, like, in the sci-fi bestseller list for, what, decades? Because everybody uh, in Scientology had to have a copy? Yes, you're right. Just, eh, it, it doesn't make a lot of um, sense. So it's, it's weird. It's weird. Um, like, why, like, renting a Broadway theater, is, or off-Broadway, I forget what it is, but it's not cheap. Like, there are less expensive ways to have your voodoo ceremony. You're right. There are. It's just, like, a warehouse would have been done just as well. And not attracted as much attention, True. really. Or offices, you know? So many, tr- I mean, if you really want actresses, you can still get an actress to come to a casting office. Right, right. And be a lot cheaper, a lot less conspicuous. Right. Um, did we know that Brother Voodoo was completely impervious to fire? He's walked with flames before. Well, we've seen him walk through flames, but to me, there's a difference between walking through flames and, like, being set on fire. <laughs> well, the thing here, and the thing, like, it's part of his general vagueness of powers that we've seen since his first appearance. Which, which I mean, to this point, Doctor Strange still kind of had, too. Yeah. Like, it's the, it's the, his powers are magic. But, like, if you were to ask, if you were to ask me right now, hey, James, what are Brother Voodoo's powers? I would be like, um, um, he does that thing with his brother occasionally. Like, his, but not His brother can possess people. Yeah, his brother. Well, it's usually, it's usually how he finishes a story. Or he finishes yes, a fight. Yes, it's his finishing move. Like, if, if it's, this... It's, if this, it's the Megazord pulling out the sword. Yeah, if this was... If this was Marvel vs. Capcom featuring Brother Voodoo, which now I really want, like, right, b- bash mutton, b- a bunch of buttons, and all of a sudden Brother Voodoo's brother's ghost would fly in, possess right. possess the person you're fighting, and start make them start beating up on themselves. Right. That would be, like, the level three super combo. Yes. Yes. Dang, I want this now. <laughs> <laughs> and and yeah, and that's fine. Like I, I am cool with that being like more of a finisher because it, it also seems like it takes him more preparation to do. Like he has to start doing a chant and like meditating and like that seems more intensive than some of his other powers. Yeah, I would like more interaction with him and the brother. Honestly. Yeah. Well, the brother is barely a character at this point. Yeah. Um. I feel like that's a waste of opportunity, but mind you that this... it is, and, and it's something that get, it's something that gets explored later. Yeah, because like James Robinson does it with that character in Golden Age, the DC miniseries. Oh yeah, uh, uh, Captain Triumph. Captain Triumph. There we go. Thank you. Where you know he has the thing with, with the tattoo, right? With the tattoo, and I feel there's a Roy Thomas character that does it as well because he was inspired by the Golden Age character because it's Roy Thomas. Yes. 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 It, it isn't 3D Man, is it? I don't think so. I don't so. think it's 3D Man, because, oh. See, this is going to bug me now. And I don't have any idea of the, fir- the first, any idea of how to even start looking for it. Because peop- I, I always remember Captain Triumph, though, because people always confuse him with Triumph, the DC character from, like, the late 90s, early 2000s, yes. who was really obnoxious. The one that Guy Gardner liked. Yes. Because he was really obnoxious. Yes. Uh, 
and and who ultimately DC accidentally killed. Oops. Um. Yeah. The, the, the funny story there. Triumph. Uh. At the end of the last story he appeared in, got turned into a statue. And until the Justice League could figure out what to do with him, they stored him in like the lower levels of their headquarters. And then their headquarters got destroyed. And no one thought to explain what happened to Triumph. And so it was just agreed that the statue got destroyed with the rest of the headquarters. I would love to be in this in this consensus meeting. <laughs> just like, oh. <laughs> um, at- well, and, and this was all this was all pre-Flashpoint. So now it's all been you know revised and rearranged anyway. Actually, um, retcon. His spirit left the statue and instead inhabited a <laughs> puppet of an insult comic dog. <laughs> no, the thing is, nobody liked Triumph enough to figure out what to do with him, so they just let him die. Yeah, he, he, was, a, he was a pretty terrible character. Farmito Poopon! Uh. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah. Uh, Brother Voodoo here, though, yeah, there's just, it's all sort of generic action. Um, also, while we're talking about his powers... It's a little bit unfortunate that every time Brother Voodoo arrives somewhere, he's preceded by the giant sound effect, dum 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 dum. <laughs> that is unfortunate. Like, look at the middle of page six. All right, give me a second to get back to page six. Oh, yep, dum dum dum. Because dum. I laughed. I laughed at that page. Yeah. Also, the perspective is really weird there. It is of him coming out of the shadows. Yes. Yeah, it's weird. Yeah, like the hand is bigger. Like his hands are too big. His hands are too big. His arms are... I mean, like, even like a forced perspective thing, that doesn't work. Right, right. Just... Because it seems like they were going for, like, he's reaching out of the page to you or something. Yeah. But it doesn't... Like, the angle's weird. Yeah. Yeah. So, apparently Roy Thomas always intended to put Captain Triumph in uh, All-Star Squadron. And just never got around to it before it was canceled. Also, apparently, Roy Thomas is not a fan of what James Robinson did with um, his character. Oh, that's right, because it was what the Golden Age miniseries. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And, and this is this is not something he stated publicly, but something he is. Well, he he has stated publicly, but in interviews, and I guess I learned it because he did a um, talk at our local university library. Mm-hmm. And someone straight up asked him, "What do you think of the what's going on in Justice League right now with these characters?" And he says, "He's not a fan." Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's fine. Not everyone has to be a fan. Yeah. Uh, um, for those that are wondering, in in the Golden Age by James Robinson, um, Captain Triumph uh, retires and leads a normal life, um, despite his brother's ghost constantly urging him to be a hero, and and he just completely refuses to give in to his brother's pleas and ends up dying. Yep. Yep. Uh, <clears throat> which DC has always classified as non-canonical, uh, but James Robinson pr- like treated it as canon when he was writing Starman. Yes, and when he was <clears throat> writing Justice League, to, to yes. both he and Jeff Johns treat the Golden Age series as canonical. In the, the rest of DC does not in their stories, but yes, I mean, I would argue it's canonical because. I mean, I mean. So the the current policy at DC is everything counts. Oh God, that's right. The five G thing or whatever it's called. Well, it, it's the omniverse. Oh, sorry. That's that what they're calling it now. Everything counts. Oh, so I mean, I'm sure there will be DC stories I like, but I also like continuity. <laughs> right. I mean, so 
I guess it's it's sort of it's basically I I see it as getting back to similar to what they tried with Hypertime, which is there is continuity, but also there is flexibility within the continuity for creative teams to focus on the parts that work best for their story. Yes, and honestly, some of my favorite stories have been trying to stories where people have been trying to get continuity to work, like Avengers Forever. Avengers Forever is a fantastic series, and it's purely motivated by, hey, Avengers history doesn't make a damn bit of sense right now. We we have some things we need to fix here. Yes, <laughs> and we end up having a fantastic story <clears throat> featuring the Avengers, perhaps one of the best Avengers stories. Um, um, a couple of talk. Speaking of well, broader Marvel and DC things. Um, there's a couple of things in the letters page that just sort of tr- drew my attention a little bit. Uh, one is a letter from Jerry Hunter, uh, who complains about the near pornography and horror in Marvel, DC, and Charlton books. Uh, he also really hates hippies. Oh, that guy. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so specifically. Uh, I've been reading Marvel since uh, Fantastic Four number one, and I've been buying all your superhero mags, but I will drop them all if I have to start censoring them because of nudity, horror, swearing, and so on before allowing my children to read them. I am a, fr- I am a friend of old Marvel, and I hope it speedily returns. Do you want a small, hippie, hapless, impoverished, mentally persons with pre-adolescent yearnings reading public? Or will you publish comics children and normal adults can enjoy reading? First off, that's a really, really forced uh, uh, use of the word hippie there. Yes. Also, he picked up that first issue of Fantastic Four when he was 67 years old. <laughs> uh, Let me tell you what I think about so, Nam. So, so that that stood out to me. Also, on the flip side of that... <laughs> You've got a guy who's asking how come Spidey can't team up with the zombie. (laughs) Uh, With his argument being, so you say there's a comics code regulation prohibiting the use of The Walking Dead, but in one of your competitors' magazines, the demon number 14 to be exact, there's a part of the story using The Walking Dead, and the cover bears the approved by the Comic Code Authority stamp. If your answer to the previous letter was a mistake... I myself wouldn't mind seeing Spidey and the zombie together. But if your answer is not a mistake, what gives? I would also... Uh, And I looked it up, and sure enough, in uh, The Demon 14 uh, from 1972, uh, written and drawn by Jack Kirby, um, there is a a reanimated zombie right in the middle of the book. uh, Animated by Cleary and the Witch Boy. Huh. I mean, in that case, yeah, I wouldn't mind seeing the zombie... A pe- with Pierce Spider-Man either. I, lo- I love Simon Garth's zombie. He's great. Let's see. Eh. I mean, it's a rather boring-looking zombie. I mean, he's not especially grotesque, but the dialogue makes it clear that he is a reanimated dead person. Yes. Which is the thing that is against the comics code. Yes. Is that a bullet hole in his forehead? Quite possibly. Okay, dang. It seems like, they- it, seems like it was colored to try and disguise that, but... Okay, never mind. Dang, Jack. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but yeah. Like, One of the things I always love about old, like, Marvel comics is where it's fairly clear that Jack Kirby's just killing people and Stan's riding around it. Like, oh yeah, like, like, 
Stan Lee, in early issues of Sergeant Fury, yep, exactly rescued about. more no- <laughs> rescued more Nazis than anybody in the history of World War II. <laughs> Not the legacy I was looking for, true believer. <laughs> but no offense to Stan Lee, I'm sure it was purely a avoiding killing in the books at all. Yes. But like... It's just funny how many Nazis in that book, like, have very clearly fatal injuries <laughs> that they then walk away from via via off, off, off-panel dialogue. Yes. Yes. It's like, you know how, like, in old G.I. Joe cartoons, whenever a Cobra would, like, have a plane explode, um, there would be a parachute. You could always have a little parachute. Yeah, yeah. a little, little parachute. This is someone telling you they parachuted out. Right, right. <laughs> it's um, it's very much the Frank Miller joke from um, Dark Knight Returns. Rubber bullets, I promise. Right, <laughs> right. Uh, yeah. Um, I, I was looking ahead, and because I, I like to do this when we have like a book that we don't typically cover regularly, like Team Up, mm-hmm. uh, just to see, you know, when the next time we'll be looking at Team Up is, and also when the next time the character who showed up in Team Up will appear again. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're not going to read another issue of Team Up until issue 32. That's going to be it. Um, which is which is Marvel Team Up featuring the Human Torch and the Son of Satan. I've read that issue. <laughs> I have read that issue already. Um, so so we've got that coming, That, but it's like April of 75. Okay. So we've got a minute. <clears throat> um, as far as Brother Voodoo... Um, we continue seeing him pretty regularly for a minute. Um, he's got at least one more appearance in Tales of the Zombie in issue 10. Uh-huh. Um, and then he's going to have, like, a four-issue run in Tomb of Dracula. Oh. Um, and then he's going to have a three-issue run in Werewolf by Night. Nice. Hey, speaking of next time we'll see people, Trey, what are we covering yeah. next episode? Oh. 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 Um. Um. I'm umming because I don't even have the, like, list of episodes pulled up. That's because you're a slacker, uh. Lawson. We are covering Tomb of Dracula <laughs> number 23 and Vampire Tales number 6 featuring Lilith and Dracula. Mm. Oh. I did not know that. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it's, on, it's on the list he made. Oh. That's cool. Yeah, sucker. I'm flexing because I think I pulled something now. Oh. Now, anyway, if you would like to contact us on why you think Trey is late, no. <laughs> but if you have ideas about what weird Marvel characters you'd like to see team up with the zombie or Brother Voodoo, you can reach us on Twitter at Tomb of Ideas, on our Facebook page, facebook.com slash Tomb of Ideas, or via our email, tombofideas at gmail.com and of course we are proud members of the Cinepunks podcasting group that's right uh, which means you can find our entire back catalog on cinepunks.com that's cinepunks with an x click on the podcast link and you'll see tomb of ideas on the list uh, it's also the home of a lot of other great shows like cinepunks horror business cinema smorgasbord uh, Black Sun Dispatches and a whole lot of other great stuff. They've also got articles, they've got uh, reviews of movies, music, TV, all kinds of cool stuff. So check out Cinepunks.com. 
That's right. And until then, Tomb Believers, bye-bye. Bye. You have been listening to the Tomb of Ideas, a Marvel Horror Podcast. Until next time, Tomb Believers, excelsior. Ha, 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 ha.